Hello, my name is Leanne and this is Paul and we are going to be doing a team effort today. We're going to be talking to you from Mark chapter 4. We've had our life group praying for our marriage as we have prepared this talk and I'm pleased to say that we're doing okay. We're doing well. So far, so good. Uh, we uh, would love to just start by honoring all of the folks at Jubilee Community Church who also did a series on Mark a couple of years back and uh, Steve and Ryan uh, shared his notes with us and really helped prompt a lot of our thoughts that flow out today. So thanks to those guys. Um, Lee, over to you to kick us off. I'm going to go have a seat. Great. So we're looking at Mark chapter four, and this chapter is an exceptional one because the whole book of Mark is full of all the many supernatural things that Jesus did. But in this chapter, we see pure teaching from Jesus and he teaches us using parables. He likes to take everyday objects, everyday scenes and to draw truths from them. And we see in this chapter, there's something that he keeps repeating over and over again. And if you're a parent, you know that we always repeat that, which we most want our children to understand. What he repeats in this chapter four, 10 times is the concept of listen to what I'm saying, pay attention. Are you grasping? Are you taking seriously what I'm saying? Are you really hearing what I have to say? What is it about these disciples that they would need to be asked to lean in and to listen and to pay attention so many times? What were they missing? And the same question is there for us today. Are we maybe going to miss what Jesus has for us in these parables? Are we going to lean in? Are we going to pay attention? Are we going to put into practice and apply what we hear today? And so maybe for you, to listen in, especially today, would mean taking a piece of paper and making notes as you hear. Maybe it means putting away distractions and phones. Let us be those who take what Jesus says and applies it to our lives. So we're going to be watching a clip now and we're going to be hearing the scripture read. The portion for today is from Mark chapter 4, verses 21 to 34. He said to them, Do you bring in a lamp? to put it under a bowl or a bed. Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Again he said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them 
without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. And so, as we've just heard, Jesus teaches using three parables. And these three parables shed light on what his kingdom looks like. We know from scripture that God's kingdom is the topic that Jesus spoke most about. So what is he going to reveal about his kingdom to us through these three parables? The structure for today, we're going to be looking at the king. We're going to be looking at the kingdom. And then we're going to look at how we should respond. And so over to Paul, who will be looking at the king. Hello again, everyone. Jesus has skillfully woven three parables together. And he's teaching on a a number of levels. One, he's pointing towards himself and his claim to be the king. He's also introducing what his kingdom is like. I'm going to tackle the first one together now. So there are three parables and there's a, a light, there's a seed, and then there's a mustard seed. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to be leaning into each three um, of, of these parables and learning about what they tell us about Jesus. So let's, let's listen in. Let's look at the, the metaphor of the light first. You'll see that Jesus asks this intriguing question. I mean, do you have a light and keep it under a bed or under a basket? Or do you put it up and give it, give it prominence and give it, give it an opportunity to really influence things? Why is Jesus using this parable? There's this question at the time around why he wasn't the main event. Let me explain. Obviously, there's a crowd gathering around. There's some people gathering around. But maybe it's not as, as much of a, a, the main event as people would expect, given the, the size of his claims. You see, it just took a garrison of Roman army uh, soldiers to kind of go past for them to realize, wait, he doesn't really have uh, a political power here. Or maybe it was a religious festival where the, the religious leaders would gather. And again, they'd realize, yeah, he's a teacher, but he's not, he's not in the inner circle. And so what is happening here is Jesus is answering that legitimate question people might have. Why are you on the periphery, Jesus? If you claim to be the Messiah, if you claim to be God with us, why aren't you the main event? Analogy I thought for us as South Africans is that quite a couple of times a year, the Soweto Derby takes place. You've got 80, 90, 100,000 people crammed into our World Cup stadium. It's a main event. Well, it would seem that although Jesus got a crowd, he wouldn't be the main game. He would probably be in a warm-up uh, match. And so the, the, the legitimate questions people are asking are around, why are you not the main event? And so what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, I'm not going to be staying hidden for much longer. My light is going to shine. I am the light of the world. And so it might look like it's on the periphery now, but, but it's going to be put on a stand and it's going to, it's going to bring nations into experiencing homecoming with God. The second parable that we look at is the one of the seed growing. Again, the image is of a sower putting seed out and then going to sleep and then arriving and seeing that that seed has been powerfully at work. Even then, they weren't there. It's broken through a new life. And what Jesus is pointing to is his identity as the seed, as the one who brings new life and offers that to others. Notice that Jesus is pointing forward to his crucifixion to his death, to a group of people saying that he is so utterly unimportant that, that he can be uh, crucified as a criminal and be buried. Jesus is saying that's going to happen, but 
I am going to burst forth in new life. And I'm going to offer that life to, to anyone who wants to come and feast. There's a harvest prepared, a table prepared for them. They can come and feast on me, the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the, the seed that no one can bury. Uh, and finally, I am the mustard seed who might seem small and insignificant, might seem on the periphery, but yet will grow up to become a mighty tree that offers life to many others. This little baby that was born in a manger where cattle would eat and, and feed is going to one day wrap up all of human history and reign for all eternity. It's an incredible set of parables, all pointing towards the fact that whilst he's not as, at the moment, as impressive as the Roman garrisons or as impressive as the religious leaders, he is inaugurating something which is going to change the world. Now, at this point, you might be asking the question, is Jesus in danger of over-promising and under-delivering? I mean, a lot of people that claim big things, but just never provide a shred of evidence for them. I would suggest that if you did a Google search today and you used all the algorithm's power to try and find the most influential person that ever lived, Jesus Christ would rise to the top of that list. Our calendar is literally divided in before his birth and after his birth. More songs have been sung to him more artwork commissioned about him than any other individual in this world. And billions would, would say that they align with his leadership of this world. And that's quite remarkable when you think about some of his credentials. He never had a university degree. He never wrote a book. He never traveled more than 100 miles from his home. He never led an army. In many ways, all the things that would usually qualify someone for greatness were not a part of who he was. But yet, isn't that exactly what Jesus promised would happen? That he wouldn't be able to be hidden under a bed or under a basket. That he wouldn't be able to stay buried underground for long. And that although he might look small and look on the periphery, he was going to one day have a global reach and a global influence. He claimed to be the king. And from our vantage point in history, he's backed that up through many, many generations. When Jesus uh, was resurrected, he had 40 days with his followers and he taught them. And you know what he taught them? We, we hear about it in Acts chapter one. He taught them about the kingdom. They wanted to know, now, now that we see you as the king, what is it like to align our lives and the lives of our community around your leadership of our lives? And so Jesus unpacked to them all about his kingdom. And so these three parables aren't just about him. They also are going to be about his kingdom. And so Leanne's going to jump up now and teach us more about what Jesus had to say. Okay, so we see that every king has a kingdom. And so what do these three parables tell us about God's kingdom? Firstly, what is meant by God's kingdom? God's kingdom is what life would look like under his rulership and his lordship. If he is Lord of our lives, then his kingdom comes in our lives. And his kingdom is everywhere where his will is being done and where his ways are being followed. And so we look at his kingdom. What does he value and what does life look like under his leadership? And we're going to go through the three parables again. And so let's start with the first parable, the parable of the lamp. 
we see that a lamp is not brought in to be hidden, but in fact, a lamp is designed to be put on a stand. And in the same way, in God's kingdom, Jesus, the light, is designed to be put on a stand. He is the light of the world. And that means that his kingdom is a kingdom of light. And as we see in Psalm 139, verse 12, I'm going to read it quickly. We see that even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. In God's kingdom, darkness cannot exist. In fact, wherever God's kingdom comes, darkness flees, darkness trembles. It cannot be where God's kingdom is. We also know from this parable that light exposes things. It shows up that which is hidden. When Jesus comes and when his kingdom comes, those things that are hidden in darkness will be revealed and will be brought to life. And for those of us who claim to follow Christ, it means that he comes and he brings his light into our lives and he exposes very gently and very kindly the sin that is within us and he moves towards us to restore us and to make us like him, that we too would be pure and holy. And so we see in this first parable that God's kingdom is a kingdom of light. And so what do we learn from the second parable about the kingdom of God? Let's read. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. God's kingdom is like this. It's like a man who scatters seed and then carries on with his business. He goes off and does what he need to, needs to do. And while he's away, the seed is busy growing. Even though you cannot see anything from the surface, the seed is busy putting down roots and it's beginning to sprout. And it's the same with the kingdom of God. It is God that makes it grow. It is him that is at work. And that is such a comforting thought. God is sovereignly by his supernatural power, causing his kingdom to grow and to expand. And I've just been thinking about this global lockdown where we have, as a world, gone into isolation. We've all gone into our own homes. We are separating from one another. We can't gather like we usually do. And it's, it's a season of loneliness and a lot of time behind closed doors. And you might be asking yourself that question, what is the gospel doing at this time? Is the gospel also tied up, restricted? Has the gospel also had its freedom taken away in this time of lockdown? What do you think? What has God been doing in this time? From my few conversations with people, I would say with confidence that God has been at work. Just like that seed underneath the soil, God has been causing hearts to be changed. He's brought new life, even behind closed doors, underneath that soil where it is hidden. No one can actually see what's happening. I think about all the family, friends, and people that I know that have logged onto online church who've never been to church before. God is at work there. I also think of Maxine's father, just an amazing story, who at the age of 87, now in this lockdown time, has said, has believed for the first time the truths of the gospel and has invited God to be Lord of his life. Where before he knew about Jesus, but he didn't have a relationship with him. And then just hearing Maxine talk about how this has filtered through their whole family, where as a family, their relationships have been strained for many, many years. 
during this season of lockdown, God has been at work and they have been reconciled to one, one another. They have moved towards one another. They have moved towards forgiving each other. And all of this has happened behind closed doors. And so that is what God's kingdom is like. You might not be able to see what's happening yet, but the amazing truth is that God is at work. It's His power at work in people's hearts and lives. I also think of the 100 people who have just finished the online Alpha course and chatting to Garth, he said, quite a few of the groups have decided to keep meeting, to keep discussing the claims of Christ. I know that God has been at work in those people's lives. And so we see that God has not been restricted during this time, that in fact, he's been doing incredible things. And let's take comfort in that, that yes, we have a role to play. The man scattered the seed, maybe he watered it, but it's not up to us. The one who causes the growth is God and he is committed to extending his kingdom and spreading his good news. And so I wonder what has he been doing in your life in this time? Have, has, has he been teaching you to trust him more? Um, has he been allowing your compassion levels for others to grow? Um, have you allowed the gardener of your soul to work on maturing you as a person in this time. And so we see that God's kingdom is like that seed. It is growing and he is committed to making it grow. What do we learn about God's kingdom from the third parable, the parable of the mustard seed? Let's go there. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of the seeds on earth, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. We see this tiny, tiny seed, so unimpressive, yet it has the potential to become this big tree. And it's the same with God's kingdom. God does not mind starting off small. In fact, he chose to start off really small. He chose that the king of this kingdom would be Jesus and that he would be born in a stable to a nobody family in obscurity. And yet from this one man who then gathered 12 around him, let's remember the disciples were uneducated. They were unimpressive by the world standards. Most of them were killed for telling other people about Jesus. God chose this way to bring his kingdom into the world. What would the disciples think now if they could see the billions of people around the world that claim to be Christ followers today? If you think about it, the disciples lived at a time when the Roman Empire was the most powerful force that Jesus is now claiming that this small mustard seed will grow into this big tree. Yet around them, they see actually the Roman Empire is where the power lies. But now today in 2020, the Roman Empire is a thing. It is gone. It no longer exists. But what does still exist? This mustard tree that has grown. Millions of Christians around the world. In fact, right now the church is thriving. The church is doing better than it ever has done before, particularly in Africa, where the most Christians in the world currently live. I also think about Asia and how in China, the rate of growth of the church is the highest that it has ever been in the history of Christianity for two millennia. 
And so we see that what God did actually, what God said would happen actually happened. That the small little mustard seed has in fact grown into a big tree. I don't think the disciples would have seen this coming. I'd like to show you some pictures of churches from around the world that have sung the song, The Blessing. I don't know if you've gone onto YouTube and watched a few of these songs, but they basically sing a blessing over all the nations of the world. And so many countries have have done videos. I've just got a few here. We have our own one um, of churches coming together from South Africa. We have Zimbabwe. And then the big picture on the left-hand side is the video that was made by the Church of Singapore. 772 people sang that song together from 177 churches. I found it so encouraging to spend some time just seeing what this mustard tree looks like, seeing my brothers and sisters around the world singing about God's goodness in their lives. And so we also see from this parable of the mustard seed that this tree puts out branches and that the birds come to nest in those branches. And what that refers to is the nations of the world coming to find shelter and to enjoy this mustard tree. And again, this wasn't just a big claim made by Jesus. It has come true. We have seen the the message of Christ and his fame spread to the whole world and many nations are gathered to this tree. And so what is the trajectory of this kingdom? We see it starts as the small mustard seed. It grows into this big tree. Where are we now in the story? We know that when Jesus came, he brought the kingdom of God. And we know that when he comes again, he will usher in the kingdom fully and completely. And we are living now in that in-between time where his kingdom has come, but has not yet come fully. What is the trajectory? Where are we headed? What will things look like when his kingdom does come completely? I want to just read from Revelation chapter 22, where it is described what heaven will look like one day when God's kingdom comes. Let's read from chapter 22, verse one. It says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. Do we see a mustard tree? No, we see the tree of life. When God's kingdom comes fully, it won't be a mustard tree. It'll be the tree of life, giving eternal life, to others. Continue reading there. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. And what we see there is that in this kingdom, the nations will be gathered and that they will be whole, they will be united, they will be healed in this place. And then finally, They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. And so we see finally one day there will be no night that God's light, he is the light of the world. But finally on that day, he will be the light that we get to live with. And so 
This is what we have to look forward to. Evil being eradicated forever. Darkness pushed back forever. When you find yourself feeling overwhelmed with grief and sorrow, when you read about what is happening around the world, the devastation brought by the coronavirus, I also think of all the racial pain that is being experienced at this time. We can be quite disheartened. But let us know at this time that it is God's agenda to push back darkness and to actually eradicate it forever. He wants to uplift those who are downtrodden. He wants to heal the sick. He wants to restore all things to himself. And we get to be part of bringing that kingdom here on earth. And we look forward to the day when his kingdom will come fully. And so that's what we learn about God's kingdom from the three parables. We've looked at the king. We've looked at the kingdom. And I'm going to hand over to Paul now, who's going to be looking at how we should respond in light of that. Wow. Wow. What a king. What a kingdom. And can you understand why in Acts chapter 1, the disciples, when they heard about this kingdom that's just been described, asked the obvious question. They said, when is this going to happen? When will we see the kingdom? And Jesus' response was to say that no one, no one would know when it's going to arrive, but that he is going to send his Holy Spirit to empower the apprentices of Jesus, these disciples, to already start to see the kingdom work in their lives and through their lives into the world. And I trust that today a similar heart would, would be in us as we have gathered together, that we'd be asking Jesus uh, the question, what, what does the kingdom at work look like in my life right now, in the community that I'm a part of, in the city I'm a part of? They would invite the empowering work of the Holy Spirit saying, come Holy Spirit as we respond to this king of the kingdom together. And so one last time, we're going to go through those three parables and we are going to be asking the Spirit to empower our responses. So let's start again with, with the light. And my invitation to all of us is to freshly invite the light of the world to the place of prominence, preeminence in our lives. That especially those of you that are our guests today that have never done this before would, would see the, the claim that Jesus Christ has to, to offer new life and to extend your, your heart to him and say, I, I accept you as the king of my life and I I come into alignment with your kingdom. The, the temptation is to, to keep Jesus to Monday to Saturday, to try and tuck him away and only bring him out on Sundays. But no, there's, there's an invitation here for all of life to be brought under his glorious light. A, a second application, a response that I, I hope gets stirred in you is to realize that darkness has no place in your life as a, as a mature Christ follower, that you would run to him and invite the work of the Holy Spirit to reveal those parts that are incompatible with the kingdom and that you would come into an a understanding of his light at work. Don't try and conceal things. Don't try to hide things. Bring them into the light. And then finally, uh, I hope you'll see just how upside down this kingdom is. Do you see that Jesus teaches us that to those who have, more will be added to them. This is totally upside down to how things normally work. 
In our world, uh, if you use something, you lose it. If you use your data, you lose it. If you use your airtime, you lose it. But what Jesus seems to be teaching here around the kingdom that is as you give away generously to others, as you share light, as you share love, you get more. It seems to be that our invitation and our response should be one of moving out in love to the world and into our city at this time, spreading the, the light of Christ to our world. The second uh, parable to respond to is the one of the seed growing. The invitation, of course, is to scatter seed, to, to long for his kingdom to come and to say, God, I need you to work in my, my, my key relationship in, in our city. So let's do that. Let's scatter seed. But let's also understand that there's a process at work here, that there is a seed that will sprout and grow, even though we might not know when that'll happen. I'd suggest that a good attitude might be to be impatient for action. So be impatient to scatter the seed, but be patient with the outcomes. It's God who's in charge. So do not fret. Wait for God's timing in these matters. Don't be premature. Don't be impatient for an outcome as we see the kingdom come in increasing measure. And then finally, the parable of the mustard seed reminds us that our part of our response should be not to despise the day of small beginnings. This mustard seed, remember, wasn't even a, a cedar or wasn't even an oak tree. It was something of a garden plant, but yet starting small, it grew into something magnificent. Likewise, in our hearts, we should not despise the, the seemingly small thing that God's doing in this time, in this time of lockdown and, and, and a lack of hope in so many ways. Let's not be those that lose hope in, in what could be something of God's work in our lives. I think of Count Zizendorf, who started a movement of missionaries around the world, starting in uh, um, Germany. They're known as the Moravians. Uh, Methodism and John and Charles Wesley, uh, brothers, were impacted by this movement. And a couple of hundred people had prayer meetings for decades, 24-7, round the clock. And what did he name his kind of movement? Well, he called it, called it the Order of the Mustard Seed. It's just this reminder that the, even though they were small, they could trust that God was going to take what they were a part of and, and multiply it. And so I, I want to supply this to our lives that we shouldn't be neither um, worried about starting with small things. We can often get overwhelmed with large things, but what about small acts of service that we can participate in? Loving the people around us, loving our neighbors. We often put a huge emphasis on those that have a public opportunity to express their gift uh, and, and a celebrity culture that can gather around them. But really, this season and this parable, I hope, reminds us that it's a small act of kindness that we can all participate in. Caring for our neighbors, volunteering to help others. It's all go a long way to bring in the kingdom of God. And then a final uh, reminder that this kingdom grows and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air could gather. Birds of the air representing the nations in their full diversity. What an amazing reminder again that diversity is God's idea. Diversity is God's intent. And that we as individuals and as a community could be calling out to God and our response can be, God, give us an opportunity to reach people different to us. Give us an opportunity to represent your kingdom here in the city of Cape Town, in my, my marketplace, in my job, in my family, in my, in my sports club when we eventually get back together. 
all the opportunities that God has given us, people that he cares about, made in his image. And we can trust that in small beginnings, we can be part of hosting the multitude. And so the question we like to ask every week is, along the lines of why is this so difficult, right? I mean, it sounds so amazing. It sounds so compelling, but many of us struggle to do it. So why is that the case? And remember Jesus 10 times in this short little passage says to us, listen, pay attention here because he knows we might not get it the first time. I thought of a few reasons, but the one I want to focus on is captured by this quote from John Ortberg. He says, for many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith, It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. And we know that the disciples, because we're going to see a a case study in it next week, they did this very thing. They were soon going to be thrown into a storm. And there was going to be this case study moment where they were tested. "Do Do you know who's in the storm with you? Do you see the king of the kingdom? And the wind and the waves of the storm were going to listen to Jesus' words. But it's up for grabs as to whether the disciples will actually listen to his words. Were they so preoccupied by what was going on in the storm that they had forgotten who was with them in the storm? Likewise for us today, in this corona season, whose voice is loudest in our lives? Will it be the voice of Jesus Christ above all others, the King of the kingdom? I'm worried that we might be familiar with his voice, but we're not, we're not focused on it. We're not following it. We're not allowing it to be the light of our lives. I'm worried that we can be very certain of our own opinions and of who we are, but uncertain about Jesus and his kingdom when it should be the exact opposite way around. I trust that as we've gathered together this morning, something of our hope has been transferred from our preferences and our desires into his words and his life and his kingdom that can be extended in us. How we would love to end our time together this, this day is by freshly dedicating ourselves to, to listening, right? To hearing who Jesus is and, and about his kingdom. That right hearing would be, it would be attentive, it would be committed, it would be determined, it would be, it would be obedient listening that, that bears fruit. That in this kind of smorgasbord of responses I've offered, I, I trust the Holy Spirit would have settled in your heart around a response that, that feels like the next step for you. And now together we are going to watch uh, 50 nations of the world gathered together to sing Amazing Grace, a song that many of us would be familiar with in their own languages, with their own cultures, in many ways representing the birds of the air that have gathered in to the kingdom of Christ. And let this be a deep encouragement to you that the seed of grace, this offer of new life that Christ presents has, has grown and that, and that we can now sit back and watch the story of this grace represented with different languages, different cultures, unified in the kingdom of heaven. And so let's engage. Let's declare Christ to be the king of our lives. Let's ask that his kingdom would come in our lives as it is in heaven, in our city as it is in heaven, in our church as it is in heaven. We're not where we want to be, but, but man, we know where we're heading. This mustard seed 
that's been planted in our lives now is going to grow. And let's, so let's invite that work in our lives. We trust that at the end of the song, you'd, you'd, you'd have a sense of this amazing kingdom and you'd also have a, an invitation of a next step that the Spirit has guided you towards. And then we're going to be hearing from Stephen Candice to wrap up our time together. Over to Amazing Grace.
so much has changed in our world lately. Wo auch immer du bist, ruf seinen Namen an. Jesus. 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 Jesus.